Thanks, Timmy. Well, you guys, like Timmy said, like I said, my name is Logan Swain. It's so good to be with you here tonight. Um, and so like Timmy said, I'm on staff with Kendeo Church with Saul Company at the University of Northern Iowa. Any Panthers fans? Go Cats. I knew I, knew I had a couple friends in the room. Uh, yeah, you guys, it's so good to be with you here tonight. Um, yeah, Cincinnati is a city that's near and dear to my heart, to my wife's heart, who I'll introduce here in a minute. But um, yeah, we have so many of our great friends who have left behind the comforts of, of family and um, life in Iowa and have packed up and moved here to Cincinnati to labor for the gospel. And so uh, it's a pleasure for me to get to be here tonight and just love getting to see so many friends here. But um, let me go ahead and introduce myself a little bit more. Uh, so I just recently got married in December, um, December 10th, yes. Just over two months. Um, I think we have a picture here of my wife and I. This is Maddie. Uh, people like her more than me. When I was getting here, all of her friends were like, where's Maddie at? But she's not here. Uh, she has to, to work Saturday morning with Kendo Youth. So Maddie's also on staff at Kendo Church. She works for Kendo Youth. Um, and so it's been a blessing just to get to see her love and disciple middle school and high school girls um, at Kendo Church. And uh, we both just recently graduated in May and then transitioned on to staff in August. So life's been changing for us pretty quickly, but it's just been a, a season of joy getting to do life alongside of one another and ministry alongside of one another. And um, yeah, Maddie's awesome. I wish she was here, but it's a little bit about me. Uh, long story short, how we met. Um, <laughs> there could be quite the story that goes with that, but we met my sophomore year of college at Saul Company. We were supposed to go overseas together to Malaysia um, and then COVID ruined everything. COVID sucks, boo. But uh, I told her I liked her after the trip, it got canceled, and then we went on a date. I got friend zone once, got back together, I got broken up with once, and I got back together and got engaged and married. So I like to say third time's the charm. Uh, this, the saying stands true. <laughs> so third time's the charm, and, and the Lord, he's, he's done a sweet work in our lives of bringing us together, and um, he's grown our heart a lot for the nations. And so in about a year and a half, we're excited to move overseas to Southeast Asia um, to labor for the gospel there. And so um, I could go on and tell you guys a lot about myself, but you don't need that. And so um, more so, I just wanna say why I'm so thankful to be here. Like I, it's already been said a little bit, but um, some of our greatest friends are even sitting here in this room. Friends that I think the world of who have left behind the comforts of, of home, like I said. Timmy was faithful disciple me when he lived in Iowa for a year. Um, Sadie is one of Maddie's best friends. Hannah is one of Maddie's best friends. People who are so near and dear to our hearts that have said bye to what's been comfortable and have came to labor here for the gospel in Cincinnati. Um, even some of your guys' staff team have made an impact on my wife and I's life. When Maddie got saved her freshman year of college at Salt Company, uh, Ernie, his wife, Laura, discipled Maddie. She was one of the first people to disciple her. Ernie officiated my wedding. And so you guys, it's just an honor for me to be here tonight. Um, I just love the people that are here, and I love the city of Cincinnati, and so it's a joy just to get to open the word of God with you guys here. And so, if you guys have a Bible, we'll be in Romans 8, you can go ahead and get there, but uh, first, guys, that, that video is awesome from the conference. Anyone love the conference last weekend? Yeah, was that awesome or what? Uh, one of my favorite things about the conference was just uh, getting to sit under the teaching of the word, getting to worship alongside of you guys, um, just being in a room that size of people following Jesus and wanting to worship him is just awesome. Uh, and so, yeah, the conference, it's a glimpse, of, a glimpse of what it'll be like for eternity to worship Jesus. But one of my favorite things from the conference is just, to, is just getting to step back and just look at the skywalk. Um, just seeing, I'm sure some of you guys saw just the people who walked by, people who were walking into the, the Iowa High School State Wrestling Tournament and Probably a mix of emotions for people, right? Maybe some people seeing this room of 47, 
4,700 college students. Maybe some people are confused as to what's going on, in awe of what's going on, maybe judgment of what's going on, maybe a little bit of both of all of those things. And so what's true is that surely if some of those people that walked through that skywalk, surely there were a handful of non-believers, right? People who weren't Christian. And so to start with tonight, we just wanna ask this question. Well, what, what makes us as Christians truly different from them? Right, what makes us as Christians truly different from non-believers? And so we'll, in trying to answer this question, you could come up with lots of different things, right? You could start with uh, maybe differences in, in disciplines we have, right? As believers, we read our Bibles often, right? We worship together, we love to sing praises to the Lord, we pray often, um, we do things that are just different in discipline from someone who's not a Christian, right? We value things that are different. Uh, as Christians, we believe sex is in the context of marriage, right? When the world would say, go sleep with whoever you want. Uh, we believe that those who are unborn, we value their lives when the world is okay with abortion, right? There's different values that we have as Christians. Uh, even our outward appearance at times, right? That those who are not Christian, maybe they dress in a way that seeks to bring attention to oneself, whereas Christians, we dress in a way that honors the Lord and those around us. Right? So this list could go on and on. You come up with this list of, of things that maybe on the surface seems like it's what makes us as Christians truly different from those who are non-believers. But we're actually gonna see Paul answer this question for us. And so if you're in Romans 8, that's where we'll be tonight. And, he, and Paul, he gives us the answer to this question of what truly makes us as Christians different from non-believers. And so if you guys can think back all the way to before the conference, as you guys have been walking through the series in Romans 8, um, you ended in verse 8, which says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Right? This statement, it should instill a great fear into those who are not in Christ. That those who are not, uh, sorry, I lost my spot. That those who are in the flesh, right, that they cannot please God. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they say. That nothing that they can do will please God. They have no ability within themselves to please him. But we're gonna look at verse nine tonight and see what Paul has for us. He says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so Paul, he answers our question right away, right? What makes someone different as a Christian from a non-believer it's not just simply a difference in what we value, right? It's not just simply a difference in our outward appearance. It's not simply a difference in disciplines that we have. But what is it? He's saying it's a difference of your inward state, right? The thing that makes a Christian truly different from a non-believer is that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of a Christian. And so as Paul, he's writing this letter to Christians in the early church of Rome, he's telling them and he's telling us today as Christians, that we are fundamentally different from the rest of the world. Right? There is something about us that is different, and it's that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, and that is what makes us a Christian. Right? Paul, he doubles down on this statement, the second half of verse nine. He says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Guys, this means that anyone who does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them is not truly a Christian. Right? You can show up to church every single Sunday. Right? You can read your Bible as much as you want. You can pray as much as you want. Uh, you can value things that are general Christian values. You can dress in whatever way that you want, but if you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are not truly Christian. You can look like one on the outside, but what makes a Christian truly different is actually what's on the inside. But the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, and so if you do not have the Holy Spirit, then you are not truly a Christian. A uh, little bit more about myself. I was born in Colorado Springs, um, Colorado, grew up there for a couple years in early life, and 
Um, I'm just a big sports guy, so I love the Denver Broncos. Uh, I hope that Russell Wilson plays half as good as Joe Burrow did this season. That would be awesome. Uh, I love the Denver Nuggets. They're my favorite basketball team. And so um, I wish Denver was a little bit closer to Cedar Falls than it is. But one of my favorite dates that Maddie and I have actually ever been on was when we got tickets to the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Denver Nuggets basketball game. Uh, in Milwaukee, and so we went on this date, we got tickets to the game, and I was so excited for it, okay? So we get in the car, I'm telling her all about the players on the roster before we get there, so I'm telling her who each player is, telling her info about them. Uh, I pull up the NBA standings, I'm showing her how good the Nuggets have done this season. Uh, I was amped about this game, okay? And she was kind of excited, but mostly just because the name was the Nuggets and she thought it was funny. Uh, She kept saying, go chicken nuggets, yay! And I was like, okay, whatever it takes to go to the game, whatever. And so we get to the game, we get there early, and uh, we go up what seems like the world's biggest escalators. I don't know if anyone's ever been to the Bucks Arena, but they're massive. So we get all the way up into the nosebleeds to watch warm-ups. And so I'm like, man, this is awesome. I'm pointing out all the different players to her about who they are. Um, I'm all decked out in my Nuggets gear. I've got the same blue jersey on that the players wore that night for the game. Uh, for Christmas that year, my brother, he had got me this Denver Nuggets official like team warm-up jacket. So everything about my outward appearance looked like I was a player, right? I had the jersey, I had the, the warm-up jacket, but here's what was true. When, when the buzzer sounded for the game to start, when the players took the court for tip-off, I stayed all the way up in the nosebleeds. I didn't go down on the court. Why? Because I wasn't a player. Right on the outside, I looked like I was a player. Everything about me looked like I played on the Nuggets. I mean, I'm not seven foot tall, but I had all the apparel, right? I looked like I was on the Nuggets, but I actually wasn't. I was just a fan. I was just a broke college student sitting up in the nosebleeds. That's all I was. And so the game was awesome. The Nuggets won by 36. It was great. But why why do I share this story? Well, you guys, you can show up to Saul Company here every Thursday, right? You can go to a great conference like the Saul Conference. You can worship with your hands in the air. You guys, you can do all the things that make you look like a Christian, You can read your Bible as much as you want. You can pray as much as you want. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then you're not a Christian. You're only deceiving yourself into thinking that you are one. So you guys, we all know people like this in our lives, right? People who act like a Christian. People maybe who even would tell you that they're a Christian, um, but actually aren't one because they don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And so now what's, what's true is that only God is capable of seeing the heart of man, right? I can't look at anyone's heart here and say, oh yeah, I see your heart, you're a Christian. Oh yeah, I see your heart, you're a Christian, right? That's a role that's reserved for God and for God alone. And so what can we do to help with that, right? If we can't actually see the heart of man, if that's a role that's reserved for God alone, what what can we do? How can we tell if someone has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, right? So though we can't see the heart, here's, here's what we can use. We can use the word of God. In Galatians 5, verses 23 to 23, this gives us a picture into what should be true in the life of a Christian. It reads this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if you're trying to figure out, is somebody a Christian, right? Or maybe even, am I a Christian? Is my roommate a Christian? These things should be what marks the life of a Christian, right? Not that any of us will perfectly do these things. I surely don't, nor will I ever. But generally speaking, over the course of time, these things should be what marks the life of a Christian, right? We can begin to ask the question like these things, right? Do they love those around them or do they only love themselves? Do they have joy in their life? True joy that comes from Jesus or is their life lacking in joy, right? Are they patient or are they impatient? Are they faithful to what's entrusted to them or are they lazy, 
right? Questions like these will begin to help us to see if someone truly is a Christian. And what's true, as we've seen of Christians, is that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and that is what makes us different. And we're given a new identity, right? No longer in the flesh, but now in the Spirit. Well, why? Why do we need this Spirit? Let's look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin. Let's stop there. Yes, sin has brought us death. Romans 3.23, we see this, this story across the Bible of how our sin has brought us death. It reads this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because all of us have failed to live up the standard that God has for us. The standard that God has for us, perfection. Okay, none of us have reached that standard or are capable of reaching it. There is not a person in this world who has lived according to God's standard. Farther than this, Romans 6.23, we read that the wages of sin is death. Meaning that what we all have deserved or earned or brought upon ourselves because we have sinned against God is to be separated from him for eternity. We have brought death upon ourselves. We all deserve to go to hell. Right, the bodies that God has given us, they have been made dead because of sin. And so our bodies, the temporal body that we have now, is dying and will eventually die because of sin. And we all deserve to be eternally separated from God. Right? Our sin leads to death. And so, so often we try to deceive ourselves into thinking that our sin isn't actually that bad. Right? We tell ourselves, oh, just, just one lustful look at him. Just one lustful look at her, that's okay. Right? It won't be anything more than that. Or, or just one drink at a party, right? That's all that it'll be, nothing more than that. Or one, one thing I'll say about how my roommate's back, but they won't even know I said it in the first place. Right? We try to deceive ourselves into thinking that our sin actually isn't that bad. But now, that one lustful look, what does that turn into? It turns into two, right? And what does two turn into? Farther than that, maybe watching porn or masturbating. That one drink at the party that we said won't be a big deal turns into two. Right, what's two turn into? Waking up drunk the next morning, wondering what had happened, right? You guys, our sin, we try to deceive ourselves into thinking that it's not actually that bad, but it's far worse than we even realize, right? Gossiping, going back to that. One thing that you say behind your roommate's back doesn't seem all that significant in the moment, and what does it turn into? It turns into the fact that you can't stop. You continue to speak bad behind people's backs, and before you know it, you're ruining relationships in your life, left and right. You guys, we can try to deceive ourselves to think that our sin's not bad, but that is not true. Uh, my freshman year at UNI, um, I, I went to UNI to study accounting, um, but by the grace of God, I joined Saul Company uh, before my classes had even started, and uh, the gospel was becoming more and more beautiful to me every day. Uh, I was starting to see Jesus more and more for who he is, and was starting to see my sin more and more for what it was, um, and God, he was doing a great work in my life to start college, and. Um, if you ask anyone who I graduated high school with, they would say, oh yeah, Logan, he's, he's the good Christian kid. Right? He was the kid, he, uh, he showed up to youth group every week, he never partied, wasn't messing around with girls, like, Logan was a good Christian kid. Right? And so I had, I had deceived myself into thinking my sin actually wasn't that bad. I thought that I had a grasp on my sin, and so I thought that because I'd never drank in high school that it wouldn't be a problem for me. Right? Drunkenness or underage, underage drinking, I thought that would never be true of my life. So the whole first semester of college goes on for me, didn't drink at all, and then January one night uh, of my second semester, some of my buddies from high school came up to visit me, um, and since college had started, they had begun drinking, and they brought with them alcohol. And since uh, they were there, I was like, okay, just, just one drink, that's all. <laughs> one drink turned into two, and you guys, two turned into I don't know how many. 
before I was throwing up and woke up next morning hungover and not even sure what had happened the night before. I tried to deceive myself into thinking that my sin actually wasn't that bad, that I had a grasp on it. And I woke up the next morning realizing that it's way worse than I thought that it was, right? I woke up feeling guilt and shame, not knowing what had happened the night before. And so I tried to convince myself I was a good Christian kid, I wouldn't drink, but I had found myself drunk and feeling shameful, and my sin was far worse than I thought it was. So you guys, whatever sin it is in our lives, this is what we all do, right? We think that we can just box in our sin. Right? We think that uh, we can control it, right? The term pet sins, maybe you've heard this before. We all like our pet sins, right? Uh, pet sins, so maybe it's, uh, I don't know, whatever it is for you. Gossip, lust, drunkenness, whatever it is. Sins that we think that we can control and they won't get worse than they are. And so at first, what's true is that uh, we think we have control over them, right? If it's a pet sin, the, the leash, we think that the animal on the end of the leash is, is something we have control over. And at first, it's a nice, you know, it's a nice little animal, right? It's soft, maybe it's not super coordinated yet. Um, we, tr- we trick ourselves, right? It's not all that bad. But what's true, you guys, is whether we realize it or not, the animal on the end of the leash is a lion. It's gonna devour us, right? So this little animal that we think is innocent, that we can control, that begins to grow. And before we know it, maybe it's scratching us, but, but we find such a, a satisfaction in, the, in the, what sin has to offer us, right? This temporal satisfaction that we think, oh, okay, it's worth it, I'll, I'll deal with the scratches, right? And this animal continues to grow and to grow, and before we know it, you guys, it's a full-grown lion. It's ready to devour us. Our sin, it leads to death. James, in, in chapter one, he tells us, when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. We can try to deceive ourselves to thinking that our sin's not that bad, that we can control it, but that's not true, you guys. Sin, it leads to death. Jerry Bridges is an author, and he helps us to see why this sin is so bad. He says, sin is wrong, not because of what it does to me, or to my spouse, or child, or neighbor, but because it is an act of rebellion against the infinitely holy and majestic God. Because every time that you and I, that we choose to sin, what we're saying is, God, I don't believe that your design is best for me. What we're saying is, I think that I know better. I think that this sinful decision that I'm making has something better to offer me than that of what you do, God. So we're so, pull, we're so pulled in by the fleeting pleasures of sin and of this world that we're far too okay with choosing to sin. Yes, sin is not a small decision that has no consequence. Sin is direct rebellion against God and it brings us death. You guys, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. None of us would say that we feel good after we sin. Right that morning that I woke up hungover in my dorm room, I didn't feel great, right? I felt guilt, I felt shame. Yes, that is what sin brings us. It brings us death. I was not pursuing God's design. But God, he has a better plan in store for our lives than for us to remain in sin, right? We never regret when we choose to honor God and his design, right? I, I never regret a second that I spend in God's word. Right? I never regret a second that I spent praying to God. Right? I, we, yes, as Christians, we don't regret a second that we spend living according to God's design. But the problem is that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot honor God rightly because our sin, it leads to death. But there is hope. You guys look back in Romans 8, starting at the second half of verse 10, it reads this. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Yes, the Holy Spirit, he gives us life. 
What Paul is saying is that for those of us who have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, that we have true life, right? That though our physical bodies, they're dying and one day will die because of sin, but the Spirit, he gives us life. And it is by righteousness that he says that we have been given life. Well, what is righteousness? Yes, righteousness is what we need to have right relationship with God, right? To have true life in the Spirit, we need righteousness. But the problem for all of us is that we are not righteous ourselves. Right? None of us are capable of attaining righteousness on our own because we have sinned against God. Paul, he wrote about this in Galatians 2.21. He wrote, but I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Yes, if we were able to attain righteousness on our own, then Jesus would have died for no purpose. He would not have had to die if we could be righteous by ourselves. But we needed a sacrifice. Because even our best attempt at obedience to God, it leaves us in a state that falls short of having righteousness. So Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, he came to earth fully God and fully man. And so now he's able to sympathize with us when we're tempted to sin because Jesus, he too was tempted in every way to sin, but yet is without sin. And so in perfect humility, as Jesus, he knew that there was no other way for us to attain righteousness by ourselves. He became our sin. He was the righteous sacrifice that we needed. Look at the screen for 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul writes about this. He says, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What is Paul saying? He's saying that Jesus, he knew that we could not attain righteousness on our own. And so he submitted to the will of the Father that he became our sin upon the cross, satisfying the full wrath of God and taking upon all of our sins as he hung there on the cross. So Jesus, he willfully died in our place. He became our sin and he died the death that we deserve to die. And in verse 11, we read that the Holy Spirit rose Jesus from the dead. Yes, the resurrection, it's essential to the gospel. If Jesus, he, if he only came to earth fully God and man and he only went to die for our sins, but the story stops there, what hope of life do we have, right? If Jesus is dead, what hope do we have? The man that we say, that he's the son of God, the Messiah, the savior of the world, if he is dead, then, then what hope do we have? We have no hope of eternal life if Jesus was dead. But in verse 11, we read that the Holy Spirit rose Jesus from the dead, that we no longer have to remain dead in our sins because Jesus has risen from the dead. He has given us hope, and it is through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone that we can have righteousness, right? What's true, you guys, here this tonight. If you, if you have put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are given the righteousness of God. The thing that we need to have right standing with God, Jesus gives it to us, that we are credited with the righteousness of Jesus to our account. And we're not just entered into some morally neutral phase, right? God just doesn't, he doesn't just forgive us of our sins and say, all right, good luck, turn out to do that again. No, he gives us the righteousness of Jesus so that we may now have right relationship with him for all of eternity. And so you guys, it is good news that the spirit dwells inside of us as Christians. He gives us life because of righteousness, because he gives us the righteousness of Christ. And so you guys, there is now a way to be made right with God. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he has done the work on our behalf. And so he has given us this promise to those of us who trust in Jesus that we will get to be also resurrected, right? That in the same way that the Spirit rose Jesus from the dead, he will also resurrect us. But you guys, this promise doesn't end there. The Holy Spirit gives us life, not just for eternity, but now, right? 
We will, yes, absolutely, we will get to enjoy this place in heaven where there will be no more sin, right? We will be so in awe of the glory of God that we will not even be able to fathom the idea of sinning against him, right? We'll be consumed by the glory of God and sin will be no more. But God, he has also given us a promise that we have life now if we are in the spirit, right? He gives us true life now. In the Old Testament, God, he made an incredible promise to his people. He made this promise that a new covenant was coming. And and guys, it has been fulfilled by the work of Jesus Christ, that through repentance and faith in him, we are both born again and given life now, that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and we have life. Uh, And so, you guys, if you have put your faith in Jesus here this tonight, you have true life and you are no longer a slave to your sin. Uh, Two summers ago, I got to go to Nairobi, Kenya for the summer um, with Kara and with Rachel, and it was an awesome summer. Uh, We got to share the true gospel with a lot of university students overseas, and um, the Lord was faithful to bless us to see fruit that summer. Um, But also at the end of the trip, we got to do something really cool. We went on a three-day safari to southern Kenya, uh, by far the coolest thing I've done in my life. And it was awesome just getting to see all the animals and and the tour guides were were telling us unique facts about all of them. And I was really surprised to find out that um, of all animals, elephants um, are the the second highest, I'm trying to think what the right word of phrase this is, the animal in Kenya that kills the second highest number of people, right, is elephants. And so I've just been, since that day, I don't know why, curious about that and I've continued to learn more about elephants. But um, what's true, that historically speaking, as elephants have been trained and as they've been raised, what starts is that these baby elephants, they're trained by tying one of their legs to a stake in the ground, right? Elephants, they start off as these smaller animals and only a thin rope is what's required. And so they'll struggle and they'll pull at first to try to free themselves from the stake in the ground that they're tied to, but eventually they just give up. They realize they can't do it. Well, eventually these baby elephants, they grow and they grow and before we know it, they're not so small anymore, right? Elephants are giant animals, they're very strong, however, that same thin rope is all that's needed to keep them to that stake. Right? They think what's true of element, elephants is that they think that, this one, that because this rope it once held them, that they're still stuck to it, to that stake in the ground. Right? They don't realize that they can break free, so they never try. And you guys, the problem that so many of us have as Christians is we have the same mi- mindset as that elephant. Right? We think that because sin once had power over us that we have to remain in our sin or that we can't escape it. Because that is not true. What, what we're reading here in Romans 8 is that we have already been given life. We have already been given the Holy Spirit to help us fight against our sin. That we are no longer enslaved to it. We are now in the Spirit. And so, you guys, hear this tonight. If Christ is in you, if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, you have all that you need to fight against sin in your life. Right? You have the power that you need to kill your sin. And so, yes, I know that you probably feel hopeless at times, but the addiction that you have, maybe to porn and masturbation. It no longer has power over you if you are in the spirit, right? The, the party lifestyle that you're trying to escape, maybe you feel hopeless, but you guys, the Holy Spirit is all that you needed. No, your sin no longer has power over you. So the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you is far greater than the power of your sin. Yes, the power of the sin, it's been defeated once and for all by Jesus as he paid the penalty for it and is risen from the dead. And so to help us defeat that sin, he has given us his spirit that, and he is doing for, doing for us what we cannot do on our own. We cannot defeat sin on our own, but because we have the spirit, we can. We're no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit, this new identity that we have. And so the sin that once was the stake in the ground to us is no longer any true for us who are in Jesus Christ. Because you have power over your sin. 
And so though the sin of Adam and Eve, right, if we go all the way back to the story of Genesis and the fall of humanity, it brought us all into a, a state marked by sin. But now as Jesus has made a way for us to be righteous, the new state that we have, righteous, right? Those of us who put our trust in Jesus no longer are marked by slave to sin, but slave to righteousness. And so you guys, you can't say no to your sin, right? Does this mean that because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us that we'll be perfect? Absolutely not, right? You guys, I continue to stumble in many ways. All of us will continue to stumble in many ways, but because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, we now have power over our sin. And so there's no such thing as a person who will be perfect, but you guys, we are to continue to fight against sin. In, in Proverbs 24, 16, it reads this, for the righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Yes, the battle of sin, it's not an easy one. And the process of sanctification in our lives where we're simultaneously becoming more and more free from sin and looking more and more like Jesus, yes, it's a process, it's not an overnight fix. Right? We're gonna continue to stumble, we're gonna continue to fall, but the battle, it belongs to the Lord. He has given us his spirit, the power that we need to continue to fight the battle. Right? We're to continue to get up, that though the unrighteous, those who can't please God, those who are in the flesh, they cannot win the battle. Right? They continue to fall and they can't get back up. You guys, we can get up because we have a spirit that's fighting on our behalf. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us fight sin. And so you guys, as we fight the sin, pull others into, into your life, into the messiest parts of it, right? God has wired us in a way that we need community, right? If you think, if you're sitting here tonight and you think that you can walk the Christian walk by yourself, you're entirely missing God on this beautiful gift that God's given you of community, right? People who are also filled with the Holy Spirit who are gonna help you and hold you accountable to battling and killing sin in your life. And so you guys, it is good news for us tonight. It is good news for us tonight that we are no longer in the flesh, right? That, but now, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, that we are in the spirit. And so if you're sitting here tonight and you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, I plead with you, let tonight be that night. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how hard you try to work your way to God, you cannot do it, right? You are in the flesh and you cannot please God. So trust in Jesus Christ. Let him save you. He is the one who has done the work and it is finished. So trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And Christian, realize that you are no longer in the flesh. Right? You have a new identity. You are now no longer in the flesh but in the spirit. For Jesus, he has given you his spirit and he has brought you life where you once were marked by death. And so Saul Company, I hope that the, the conference last weekend, it wasn't just some spiritual high moment in your life. Right? It was awesome, don't get me wrong, but I hope it wasn't just some spiritual high moment in your life. I hope that your life since you came back to Cincinnati on Monday has, has looked a lot different than it has before. Right? I hope that you're seeing every student on your campus as a soul who has been created in the image of God. Right? And I hope that because you have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you, that you have life, you guys, that you would see how good the grace of God has been to you, that you wouldn't be able to help but to share with those around you that you would realize that you no longer are in the flesh, but you are in the spirit because he has given you life. And you guys, how can we be a people who don't tell others about that good news? Um, I know you guys maybe have a group chat here that, that you guys get to send stories to one another about uh, the work that God is doing in Cincinnati. And, and we have a similar one um, at Kendale for students at UNI um, on our student leadership team. And uh, one of the stories just came in this past weekend um, of a girl in our ministry who, um, she met this girl whose name was Lindsay uh, a little bit over a year ago and 
at first, Lindsay didn't really want anything to do with the Lord. Uh, and so, but she lovingly came alongside of her, welcoming her in as a friend. And for a year straight, she met up with her, faithfully shared the gospel, faithfully spent time with her, just being a good friend, right? And I'm sure in her mind over this, the course of the year that there was lots of frustrations. Right? I'm sure that there was lots of moments over the course of the year that she was like, is this worth it? Right? I've shared the gospel with her probably close to 10 times by now, and she hasn't put her faith in Jesus. Is it worth it? And so at times, she said that she said, I don't really want anything to do with Christianity. I wanna stop talking about this. But now recently, you guys, this past Thursday, all of the seeds that God had planted in her life finally turned into something, and she gave her life to Jesus. After a whole year of, of trying to stiff arm the Lord, she realized that she had no other way to be righteous but to trust in Jesus, and how she is no longer in the flesh but in the spirit. And you guys, stories like Lindsay's are awesome, <laughs> because they're awesome. A story like Lindsay, who now once was in the flesh, but now is in the spirit and will enter into heaven with us for all of eternity, getting to praise and worship Jesus alongside of us who have faith in Jesus. But you guys, what's true is that I can't help but to think that there are a lot more stories like Lindsay's who just haven't been written yet. Yeah, stories on the University of, of Cincinnati or Xavier, whatever school you go to, of students who are just like Lindsay, right? Whose current status in the flesh cannot please God. But you guys, God is calling you to bring the good news of the gospel to them, to say there is a way to be made right with God. There is a way to be no longer in the flesh but in the spirit, and here's how. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so you guys, I don't know who the Lindsay is in your life. Right? I don't know who that is. But you guys, my hope is that you guys would see the beauty of the gospel, that you are no longer in the flesh but in the spirit if you have Jesus, and that you couldn't help but to go and share it with those in your life this week. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for such a beautiful text like this. God, that we get to see that for those of us who have put our faith in you, Jesus, that we are no longer in the flesh. God, all of us deserve eternal separation from you. God, because of all of our sin, none of us deserve to get to enter into your presence for all of eternity. God, this is true of my story. God, I ran in rebellion from you, but you have chased me down. And God, you have done the work. Jesus, you came you lived the perfect life that I couldn't live, and you died the death that we all deserve. But Jesus, you did not stay dead. But you rose from the dead victoriously, and you defeated the power of sin and death over us. So Jesus, we thank you that you have done the work on our behalf because we could not obtain righteousness on our own. And so God, I pray for the non-believer in the room, God, for the person who, who's maybe, their story is even like that of Lindsay. They've been running from you, God, you're chasing after them. And so God, I pray for that student in the room tonight, that they would see the beauty of the gospel, that they would see that they are in the flesh, they cannot please you, but Jesus, you have made a way back into right relationship with you, Father. So God, would that student put their trust in you tonight and find true life in the spirit? And God, I pray for the Christians in the room. God, thank you for the new identity you've given us. Would you help us to realize this new identity that we have also comes with a new power. It's not just some title, but Jesus, you have given us the power of your Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of us, and you have brought life to where we brought death upon ourselves. God, thank you for the hope that you have given us, that we will get to dwell with you for all of eternity, that you promise us life eternal, but God, you also give us life now. So would you help us to be a people who take sin in our life seriously, who seek to kill it, and God, we wanna do that because you are holy, you are righteous, and you are worthy 
of the entirety of our lives and our obedience to you. So Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.